because you're a gracious God. We love you because you are perfect. You're perfect in all of your ways. You're perfect in all of your ways. We bless you, Lord God, because there are no mistakes in you, my God. We thank you, Lord, because even when we don't understand everything, we know that you are perfect in all of your ways. We know that you are a good, good God, and we can trust in your goodness, Lord. And Father God, we know because of who you are, we are loved by you, God. We are loved by you, God. We bless you today, Lord. We honor your name today. Do we not serve an awesome God? Amen. Glory to his name. He is worthy. That part gets me every time. When I was sitting down playing the piano by myself, I was weeping in the presence of the Lord, just, rem just reminded of the fact that I'm loved by him. You're loved by him. He loves us. That's so awesome. He doesn't have to love us, but he does because he's good. Amen. Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to the Gospel of John, chapter 17. The Gospel of John chapter 17 and verse 1, when you got it, say so. And it says, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. And as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work with which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your goodness, for your grace, for your love, for your kindness toward us, Lord God. This morning we come before you, Lord, thanking you because you really are a good God. We thank you because we are loved by you. We thank you because your wisdom it's beyond our comprehension, and your ways are beyond knowing, God. And so, Lord, even as we sit here today, Lord God, we recognize, dear Lord, that our Savior is praying in this chapter, Lord. And so our hearts, Lord God, may they be attentive to your voice as we are reminded of your wisdom, Lord God, as we are reminded of the great sacrifice that was made for us. And, Lord God, his heart toward us, Lord. I pray that we would not just be hearers of your word, but that we would be respondents to your word, that we would obey your truth, and that we would be the people of God that you've called us to be, Lord. We give you praise and thanks, and we ask you all this in Jesus' good name. And someone said... You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, please raise your hand really quickly so the ushers can make sure that you get one. want to make sure that everybody has an opportunity to take notes, that everybody has an opportunity to um, follow along in the, in, in the um, introduction. Um, so make sure you have those. We also utilize these, as I've encouraged you in the beginning when we started doing our outlines. It was for the purpose of our Connect Life groups. And Pastor Chad is not here today. He is um, still in Texas with his family. And so um, if you do, if you are not connected, if you're not part of a Connect Life group, you can see one of us, myself, Pastor Aldo, or one of the leaders here, and we will help you get connected. It's very important that you do. And what I, the reason why I bring that up is because since we utilized these before in order to discuss the sermon, what we're doing now is we're, we're discussing a different book in our Connect Life groups, but I encourage you to utilize what God is speaking to your heart, what God is communicating to you, and that way you can go and help someone else grow in the grace and the knowledge of who Jesus is. Amen? Amen. All right, so we're going we're gonna, to um, continue on in our series, The Real Jesus, and we are obviously in the Gospel of John chapter 17. We're coming toward the latter part of the ministry of Jesus on the earth before he is going to be crucified. And so what happens is if you look at your outline on, on one side of it, you'll see the intro here. And so we come now to the high priestly part of Jesus' earthly ministry. From instructing his disciples, he now prays for them. 
And so he goes and he, and he, and he has, hey, he's, he's shown from the beginning of the gospel who he was. He's made it real. He preached to the multitudes. And then he takes some time with his disciples in the upper room, washes their feet, gives them some instructions. His betrayer has left the scene. And now Jesus and, and, and different um, scholars have, have debated about when this actually took place. I would think that it's probably somewhere, you know, around the time where Jesus was praying those three times where he was crying out to the Lord, somewhere around there. But ultimately, whether whether or not we know exactly when this prayer occurred, we know that it happened. And it is the most powerful prayer that is written down in the scriptures. There's no other prayer that compares to this because our Savior is praying these words. And so we are, we are given a privilege to be able to look into the most intimate, amazing conversation between God the Father and God the Son as they're communicating regarding their relationship, regarding our relationship. And so it's an awesome, it's an awesome thing for us to look at. Um, when we look at the, the scriptures, you see in the... Uh, in a few other places, Jesus was asked by his disciples how to teach him, to teach them how to pray. And so Jesus, you know, taught them the Our Father. And so typically we look at Our Father as the Lord's Prayer, but the reality is this right here is the Lord's Prayer. And so I know that many of you, let me just see you by a raise of hands real quick. How many of you have memorized the Our Father Prayer? Come on, raise your hand really quickly. You're real spiritual if you did. Amen. If you didn't raise your hand, what's up? No, I'm just kidding. Just joking. Um, you're, not, you're, not, you're not any more spiritual if you, if you memorize your father. You probably have a Catholic background or something like that. But nonetheless, it's just, it's just reality, right? I mean, that's one thing that you learn, right? Um, but nonetheless, or your parents, you know, because my, my, my children are not um, Catholic. And, you know, when Alexis was younger, we used to pray the Our Father with her every night. But the thing is this. You memorize the Our Father, which you thought was the Lord's Prayer. But my challenge to you is to memorize this prayer. John chapter 17, because this is the real Lord's Prayer. Next week, we'll have a test on that. Amen? Let's see how awesome you guys really. Let's see how spiritual you really are. Amen? I'm just kidding. I'm not going to call you out next week, so make sure you're back, because I know some of you are like, I'm not coming. Bishop might call me out. You know? Not going to happen. I'm not going to call you out or nothing like that. But this is an awesome prayer for us to look at. And so Jesus prays. So the reality, the reality is um, there, there really is no greater second paragraph here. There really is no greater privilege than to be able to come before the Almighty God in prayer, knowing that your access has been secured and that his answers have been assured. Are you hearing me? There's no greater privilege than it is. I mean, I don't know if you think about this just for a moment. Just let that sink in. God invites you into his presence. And I know that sometimes that that gets like watered down somewhere. Like, oh yeah, God invites us into his presence. No, no. I want you to understand that the one who spoke and everything came to pass, he invites you into his presence. Not only does he invite you into his presence, but he assures you access unto him, and he assures you answers to your prayers. I mean, that's a big thing, right? Like, it's, 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 it's bigger. You know, I don't even want to compare because I would not want to belittle God. I wouldn't want to compare him to, like, the president or someone great in this earth because no one compares. And all that would do is bring him down to some level that he is way above, right? And so I couldn't even give you an example, but what I want you to know is that God allows us to come into his glorious and wonderful presence despite our sinfulness, Despite our unworthiness, despite our lack of knowledge or lack of ability, God is not looking for someone who has all the answers. God is not looking for someone who's memorized this prayer. God is not looking for someone who even knows the Our Father. God is not looking for someone who even knows the shortest um, scripture in the, in the Bible, which is Jesus wept. He's not looking for that. He's simply looking for someone who understands that Jesus died to assure us and to guarantee us access unto the throne room of grace. That's an awesome thing. To give us access unto him. And so when we look at this prayer here, it's encouraging for us. And so looking at the last paragraph, Jesus' example of prayer shows us three clear points that we can follow in our prayers. One is that prayer points us to our own need for God. Two, prayer points us to the present need for God and others. And three, prayer points us to the future need for God and others. Today, the title of the message is Prayer Points, right? Prayer points, and here's the big idea if you're, if you're taking notes. True prayer always points us back to the heart of God. True prayer always points us back to the heart of God. That's what it's always going to do. Whether I'm praying for myself, whether I'm praying for you, whether I'm praying for the next generation, no matter what I'm praying about, real prayer is always going to point us back to the heart of God. If I'm praying for myself, what real prayer is going to do is going to point me back to God's heart for myself. If I'm praying for you, what prayer is going to do is it's going to point me to the heart of God for you. Real prayer is going to do that. And if I'm praying for other people that haven't even come to faith in Jesus, it's always going to do what? It's going to point me to the heart of God for them. That's what real prayer does. And so the, real, the, the big idea today is true prayer 
prayer always points us back to the heart of God. And so repeat this after me. The first point is this. Say, prayer points us to our own need for God. Prayer points us to our own need for God. Verses 1 through 5 record for us how Jesus begins his prayer. And he spends the first part of the prayer. He doesn't pray for anyone else. He prays for himself. And he asks God really one thing. If you really read this part of the part of the prayer, he asks God for one thing. And that is what? It is to glorify him. It is to glorify himself so that way he can glorify the Father. That's what he prays for. And so as Jesus prays for himself, he shows us that prayer for ourselves is not entirely and always selfish, but it's okay. At times, it's necessary, and yet it always must be with the premise to bring glory to God. Are you hearing me? You see, sometimes we get this idea that we should not come to God in prayer with our issues, right? Like somebody, like somebody lied to us and told us, like I've talked to people that are going through hardship in their lives and they're like, you know, I'm not going to come to God right now because I don't want to just come to him for this situation. Are you kidding me? Listen, God invites you to come to him because of that situation. Now, obviously, he wants to do more than just fix that situation in your life. But the truth of the matter is, many times we start to feel like, oh, you know, I don't like to pray for myself. You know, like we're like really humble and stuff like that. And I'm not saying you're not humble, but here's the deal. Okay. It's okay to pray for yourself. Just make sure it's not all about you. Hello. See, when Jesus prays, he was consumed with what? He was consumed with the glorification of the Father. Let's look at what he prays real quick. I mean, it's only a few verses here. He says this. He says, Father, the hour has come. Now, let's think about that for a moment because remember, as we've been going through this gospel, we've known that Jesus said, remember the first thing that he, when the first time he was asked to do a miracle, you remember that? And in, in the wedding of Cana of Galilee, remember that, that wedding? Remember his mom comes to him and says, Mom, they've run out of wine, yada, yada, yada. You remember that story, right? What did Jesus say? Jesus says, woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And so throughout this gospel, you'll see, if you remember, there were times that that word was there, that the hour had not yet come. But Jesus comes to the moment after, after doing everything that he was supposed to do, and he says, my hour has come. In other words, it is time. Jesus is hours away from the agony of the cross, and he begins to pray to his Father in heaven. And then the second thing that he says here, he says, glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. Glorify your son that your son may also glorify you. In other words, Lord God, elevate me. You know what? He's talking about glorification. Where is he? He's, he's about to go to the cross. Lift me up so that way the final prophecies of me being this Messiah are going to come to pass so that way I can glorify you. Understand this, church. Jesus was consumed with one thing and one thing alone, and that was bringing glory and honor to God. I know you want to think he was consumed with saving you and saving me, but I have to tell you something. That wasn't the primary thing on Jesus' heart. The primary thing on Jesus' heart was to bring glory and honor to God. And as a result, he would do what? Save you and I. As a result of him pursuing the glory of God, the will of God would be accomplished. And see, that's good for us. That's instructive for us. Why? Because we realize that when you and I are committed to bringing glory and honor to God, we don't have to worry about not walking in the will of God. You want to know why? Because when I am laser focused on, when I am passionate about, when my heart is overwhelmed with bringing glory to God, you want to know what? I'm going to pursue him with everything that is in me. And I know this, that the Bible says that the, that the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. How does he order them? He orders them as we pursue his glory. He leads us in his will. And what he does is he assures that we walk out his purposes in our lives. Are you here? Jesus was consumed with the glory of the Father. Jesus prayed. Think about this now. Jesus prayed. What we see here, he prayed declaring his obedience to the will of the Father, his commitment to our salvation, and his longing to return to his glorified state. He opens his prayer asking to be glorified. He closes his prayer saying, Lord, return me to that glorious state that I have. So again, in this prayer, he's pointing to what? He's pointing to the fact that he's pre-incarnate. He's pointing to the fact that he was already glorified. He's pointing to the fact that he was already in heaven. And so again, we have another witness to what? The real Jesus. We have another witness to who he is. And so we see this clearly. So he says that simultaneously. You know what this prayer does? This prayer gives us assurance of our security in his finished work. Look at what he prays. He said, as you have given me, in verse 2, as you have given him, as you have given him authority over all flesh, him is speaking of himself, of all flesh, that he should give eternal life 
to as many as you have given him, given him, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work with which the, the work which you have given me to do. And so what Jesus does when he prays this prayer is he's saying, look, Father, I have, I've done the work you've called me to do. I've finished the work you've called me to do. He's going to repeat these words on the cross in, 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 a, in a much shorter phrase, and it's going to be, it is finished. Tetelestai, it's done. It's over. That's it. There's, no, there's nothing else that needs to be accomplished. But Jesus is saying to his Father, I've done this. And so you know what that does? That gives us security that we know that up to this point, Jesus has done everything that he's supposed to do to guarantee eternal life for all of those who have really put their faith in him. Are you here? So he gives us security in this prayer. And here's, here's our application for this, is that we must ensure that our prayers for ourselves are rooted in the glory of God. Amen? We must ensure that our efforts in prayer for ourselves are for what? So that way we might finish as strongly as our Savior did in fulfilling the will of God for our lives. Are you here? You see, when the Apostle Paul came to the end of his life, you know what he realized? He realized he had run the race. He realized that he had done what God had called him to do. And listen, you know, we preach and we talk about, you know, there's no one that's perfect. I get that. But can I tell you something? Despite our imperfections, we can be assured that we have lived out and done everything that God has called us to do. I love the, I love the thought of, 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 of that, I, that I've heard. I can't tell you where I heard it from first. But it is a thought of us going to heaven empty instead of full. Are you here? It is a thought of making sure that I have done everything that I can, that I have given everything that I can, that I have lived fully for the glory and the honor of God, and that there was nothing else that I can do. Listen, are we going to have moments in our lives where we look back and say, man, I wish I would have, I wish all, all of that's going to happen. But can I tell you something? God is a sovereign God who really does order our steps and does ensure that we accomplish his will. The question again goes back to the original thing. Are we living for his glory? You're going to hear this throughout this message. Are you living for his glory? Because if you are, you will fulfill his purposes. The second point that I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, prayer points us to the present need for God in others. I know you like that point. Prayer points us to the present need of God in others because we all know people that need God. That'll sink in in a moment. You know that person, oh, you need the Lord. Come on, you know what I'm talking about, right? You, you know, you know, you know what I'm talking about. That person, you're like, man, they need Jesus. Uh-huh, I know. So you're like, I feel real spiritual now, right? You, you feel really holy. Like, I see, I recognize I need the Lord. Listen, it's, it's true. Just remember, you need Jesus first, amen? amen? Because that's what we talked about. The first thing is that we recognize we need him, right, for ourselves. Not just that other people need him. But nonetheless, the truth is that the second thing that Jesus does is he prays for his apostles, he prays for his disciples. He prays for those people who are presently with him. And so let's continue on looking at this prayer. In verse 6 he says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known, they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. There, there's that word glory again. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom I, those, I'm sorry, those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. 
I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you would take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Amen. And so Jesus here, he is praying. So he is praying for who? He's praying for his disciples. He's praying for the ones that have believed in him already. He's praying for the ones that have been walking with him. He's praying for the ones that have received him as, 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 the, as the Messiah that was to come. And so he's lifting them up because they have some specific needs. He, he talks about them being kept from the evil one. He talks about them being kept by his grace. I mean, you know, sanctified by his truth. And so what we find here, I want you to notice something before we look at this part of the prayer. Jesus' prayer for himself is only one-third of the entire prayer. Are you here? Three parts in this prayer. Praise for himself, praise for his disciples, and then we'll talk about it. He prays for us. Three parts of this prayer. One third, one third of that prayer is about himself. And I want you to notice he only used a few verses to pray for himself. Why is that important here? It's important for us because when we're looking at this example for us, it gives us an indication that we border on selfishness in prayer when our prayers for ourselves are the opposite. So in other words, when two-thirds of our prayers are all about us, then there's a problem. Hello. When we're praying more for ourselves than we pray for anyone else, there's an issue, right? And so that's where we bring this balance in. And so Jesus recognizes and prays secondly for his present disciples, mainly for their sanctification. And all of this, what he's saying is, God, keep them. To the, keep them by your grace. He talks about them being sanctified, right? Having, having kept them from the evil. When he talks about them being set apart for his glory and honor. So when we look at this word sanctification, what does sanctification mean? Sanctification in its purest sense, it means this. It means to be set apart for a particular, for a particular use. It means to be set apart for a particular, particular use. And so you would be sanctified, right, if you're set apart to something. Now, in, in a non-biblical sense, a person could be sanctified, for example, and, and this sounds crazy because you don't want to think about the word sanctified, but we'll say it like this. A person can be set apart to something that they are doing. For example, someone who's playing sports, they can be set apart for that because what happens? Well, think about it. When someone is playing a sport and they're really engaged in the on-season, well, you know what? Typically, they're eating right typically there are certain rules that they don't or that they follow that they don't engage in there are certain things they don't participate in why is that it is because they are set apart for a particular use now what happens is this word is applied to us as Christians and so it is not just being set apart for a particular use but it's being set apart for a holy use it is being set apart for the glory of God. It is being set apart for the use of God. It is being set apart by God, for God, through God's word. And the way that he sets us apart is a few things that we see here. You can write these down. God sets us apart, first of all, as he keeps us in his name. Jesus said that he kept them in his name while he was there. That's verses 11 through 12. And what we find here, what does that mean? You know, the book of Proverbs says something. I was going to look up the exact reference, and I apologize that I didn't. But the book of Proverbs says something powerful. It says, the name name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are saved. Are you hearing me? And so the name of the Lord is a strong tower, right? The name of the Lord is a place of, a place of strength. It is a place where we find what? It's, it's a place where we find solace. It's a place where we find protection. And we are kept in his name. You see, when we understand the names of God, for those of you that get on the 430 a.m. prayer calls, and I appreciate you guys for waking up and being on those calls with me, um, what I started doing probably last week or the week before is as we pray in the morning, I just started doing what I do by myself. And so I just go through it, not every single day, but, you know, with you, I do it every day. But it's to rehearse the names of God. And the reason for that is because it is a reminder for us, first and foremost, of what? Of who God is. It's a reminder that when I declare that he is Jehovah Jireh, that is saying what? That is saying who God is in his character. That is also reminding me that is who God is in his authority. That is reminding 
reminding me that is who God is in his will. And so I'm being reminded of that. But can I tell you a second part that is so important? When I pray that, I am not just reminding you. I am calling back to God and saying, God, this is who you said you were. And so I want to remind you of who you declared yourself to be. I want to remind you that you are my protector. You are my provider. I want to remind you that you're the Lord, my healer. I want to remind you that you are the God, my peace. I want to remind you that you are my shepherd. I want to rem- Is it because God forgot? Absolutely not. It's simply because I am declaring my faith unto him that, God, I'm not going to try to figure out how to provide for myself. I'm going to follow you in obedience and allow you to do that. I'm not going to try to figure out how to make things happen on my own. But, Lord, I'm reminding you where my faith is. My faith is in your name. Are you here? And so what we do is we have this understanding of who God is. And so Jesus shows us that we are kept by what? We are kept by the name of the Lord. The second way is where we're kept is when our joy is fulfilled in Christ in verse, in verse 13. It is when we're experiencing the joy of the Lord that the Bible says is our strength. That is what keeps us walking with him. Why? Because you know what happiness, I think Pastor Aldo was talking about happiness last week. Happiness only lasts for a certain amount of time. See, happiness is dependent upon people. It's dependent upon circumstances. It's dependent upon things that are fickle, things that don't last forever. Are you here? And so what happens is when someone walks out of your life, guess what happiness did? Walked right out with them. But can I tell you something? Happiness, he and she can walk out the door. Guess who doesn't? Jesus. Guess what remains? Joy. And as that joy is fulfilled, I don't go trying to seek happiness in the wrong places because I have what? Because I have a joy that is overflowing my soul that is keeping me walking with him because I'm sensing the satisfaction that only comes from a savior. And so he keeps us in his joy. And then the other thing is that he keeps us by is in verses 14 through 18 is he sanctifies us or keeps us by his word, his truth. You see, God sanctifies us. And I want you to get this about sanctification because you're going to notice something. Jesus said, this to prove my point. Jesus said, I sanctify myself. Now, sanctification is about not being or, or not living or coming out of sin. And there's a problem because Jesus was sinless. Are you here? Sanctification, I want you to get this. It is not so much about what we are walking away from. It is about who we are walking to. Sanctification is not just about me saying no to sin. See what I said a moment ago. I said we're worried so much about doing what? About fulfilling the will of God sometimes instead of worrying about the glory of God. And if we focus on the glory of God, then we're going to walk in the will of God. And here's what I want you to know, that it is an automatic reality. Let me, I'll put it to you like this. In my marriage, the moment that I said yes to Elaine Quinones, guess what I said? I said no to every other woman on the planet. Too bad for them. I'm just saying. Glory Glory to God. I probably just turned red. I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> listen, automatically I said no. Did I have to go to every woman and say no, 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 no? Sometimes you got to say no, right? You got to be like, hello, I'm married, right? Like, I know y'all thought it was the other finger. No, it's this finger, <laughs> all right? <laughs> I'm like, Bishop, you're going crazy. No, 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 right? And some people, they see that as an invitation because that's the days that we're living in. So the truth of the matter is in my heart, though, right, I'm not struggling to say no to someone because I already said yes to someone. That is amazing, right? I already said yes to someone who has my heart. Sanctification unto the Lord is the same thing. When I say yes to Jesus, I am going to, by default, say no to sin. That is what is going to happen. You want to talk about how you live holy? Well, it's simple. Say yes. Say yes to Jesus, not yes to the dress. Listen, say yes to Jesus, right? (laughs) Glory to God. Talking about marriage, I'm just saying, look, here's the thing. Say yes to the Savior. Say yes. Make it a conscious point that every day and every moment I'm going to find out what my Savior wants and I'm going to say yes to him. Because when I start saying yes to him, I don't have to worry. Look, I love the book of James because it says what? It says, submit yourself to God, period. It's a sentence. It ends, right? It's like the end of a thought. And then it says, resist the devil and he will flee. Can I tell you something? You don't even have to worry about the resisting side when you simply submit. Because when you submit to God, you're bowing to him. And guess who fights for you? God Almighty. 
And so obviously there's got to be some moments that I say no to things. But what I want you to get about sanctification, it's about me being separated unto my Savior. It's about me living for his glory and for his honor. And I say one of the greatest issues that I see within the church today is that we struggle to live sanctified lives. Hello. And I want you to understand this. A sanctified life is a life that is distinctive from a life that is not lived for the glory of God. See, when I'm living a sanctified life, I am truly and honestly living not for my glory, not for my pleasure, not for my desires, but I'm living for the glory and the honor of Jesus. I'm living for the glory and the honor of the one who died for me. And I want you to know this, church. Here's what you got to get. When I say that this is an issue, when I say that this is, this is an issue, that we struggle to live a sanctified life, is because, hear me, hear me when I say this. I prayed this this morning. We have bought into this prosperity garbage. And all this, I'm not even going to call it gospel anymore. It's prosperity garbage, okay? And the reason why it's garbage, okay, is because all it does is feeds the idols in your heart. That's all it does. It tells you about the car you're going to have, the house you're going to have. That's all idols in your heart that God may say, man, I don't want you to have that car. I don't want you to have that house. It feeds your ego. It fe it's like, yeah, if I serve God, if I give this, I'm going to get that. Time out. Is that the motivation of my heart? Is it not that the reason why I give anything, my time, my talent, my treasure, it's not because I'm going to get something. It's not because God is going to strike me dead. Can I liberate you for a moment? You should not give anything of your time, of your talent, of your treasure, because you are afraid of a consequence. The motive for you giving anything, the reason why you should give money and you know for the glory of God, the reason why you should give your time for the glory of God, the reason why you should dedicate your talents for the glory of God, it's not because God is going to strike you dead if you don't or because you're going to experience some kind of curse. The reason why you and I should do anything is because we realize what the gospel says, that I was a sinner that was separated from God. And I want to put a paraphrase real quick because when we think about that word sinner, people have issues being called sinner in the church today because they're saved, they're sanctified, they're filled with the Holy Ghost. Let me tell you what it means to be a sinner. It means to be someone who misses the mark. It means to be someone who doesn't hit the bullseye. The other day I had the privilege of going shooting with my brothers. And as we were out there shooting, you know, this bullseye, it's, you know, the, the bullseye's there in the middle. And can I tell you something? There's a bullseye inside the bullseye. What I mean is there is the exact center. And what I want you to get is that God is the only one who is at the exact center at all times. He's the only one that never missed the mark. And so anyone in here who can communicate that they never missed the mark, then you're not a sinner. But other than that, you are a sinner just like me. But you know what the beauty of it is? is that the reason why I can embrace that is because I know that I'm not left in my sin. Jesus died so I wouldn't have to experience hell. Jesus died so I could be liberated from sin so that way I could hit the mark more times than not. Hello, somebody. Jesus died so that way I could have a new identity. Jesus died so that way I could have a relationship with God. And as he said, I could have eternal life in him. That's why he died. And so that becomes the motivation for everything that I do. It's not because I'm worried. Look, Jesus suffered the full wrath of God that I deserve. And so the reason why I give is not because I'm worried about wrath. It's because I'm grateful for grace. See, that's the motivation of my heart. That's the motivation of your heart. And we struggle in this area of being sanctified because we, 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 we want to still hold on to our life. We want to hold on to the things that we want. We want to hold on to those emotions, those feelings. We want to hold on to that stuff that's pleasurable. Listen. You either live sanctified or you don't. I wish I could tell you some other way. You're either running to him or you're not. There's no in between. It's not like, you know, there may be a struggle going on, but the truth of the matter is I am living for his glory or I'm not. That's the question today. Living for his glory or not. The third thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say prayer points us to the future need for God and others. Prayer points us to the future need for God and others. Let's read verses 20 to 26. Jesus says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. 
I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as I have loved or as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name, there it is again, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Now, I told you to let this sink in for a moment that the Almighty God invites us into his presence in prayer. But I want you to let something else sink in here for a moment. Jesus is praying for you and I. Now, check this out. Before you and I were even a possibility, before our parents were a possibility, before our grandparents were a possibility, this is 2,000 years ago, so just go down the generations, before they were a possibility, right? Before any of us was even a possibility, Jesus was praying for us. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? He was praying a prayer for you and I. So if there's anything that I would tell you is that, look, you might have missed the first part of this prayer. You might have missed the second part of this prayer. Don't miss the third part of this prayer. Because this prayer pertains to you and I. And I want you to know something. You know, sometimes you listen to people pray. I know I listen to myself pray sometimes like, dude, you're repeating yourself. You know what? You just heard Jesus repeat himself a bunch. So you know what? It's all good. Keep repeating yourself when you pray. Amen? Continue to get it out the way it's got to come out. Because if our Savior repeated himself, that must not be vain repetition. Someone must have had a bad interpretation. Anyway, we'll move on from that. I want to throw that in there as an aside. But here's the thing. Jesus is praying for his disciples. He's praying for us that are going to believe based on the words of the apostles. He is praying for us. He's praying for people that have yet to come to faith. He's asking God some things for us. And here's what I want you to get. Jesus prays for two major things in this prayer for us. Number one, he prays for unity. And number two, he prays for our glorification. These two things are the greatest targets of the enemy. Did you get that? If you're taking notes, you should write that down. The two things that the enemy wants to target is number one, unity. And number two is glorification. Glorification goes back to what? It goes back to what I've been asking since the beginning of this sermon, and it is that we are to be living for the glory of God. But see, the unity factor here, I want you to notice, he said it when he was praying for his disciples, but he began to pray it over and over again for us as the ones that would believe. Jesus prays this, and unity means, what, what does unity mean? I want you to think about what unity means. Unity means to be one in mind and heart and focus and in effort, right? It means to be one in mind, heart, focus, and effort. Notice I didn't say it meant to be one in clothing. It meant to be one in diet. It meant to be one in the other things. I didn't, I didn't say any of that, right? I said unity means to be what? To be one in mind and heart and focus and effort. Unity is not uniformity. Everybody being the same. Do you get that? God created us different. We're supposed to have unity amidst diversity. Are you getting this? That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is all about, right? It's about the, the diversity within the body of Christ, the different gifts that we have. And so we all have different gifts. And so, you know, I'm a guy, right? And I'm, I'm one of those guys that's very boisterous when it comes to worship, when I have the privilege to stand down there. And y'all keep praying because I really am praying for someone to come and replace me so I can stand down there and I can just be happy down there. Um, I'm happy up here and I love what I do up there. But here's the deal. The thing is, I don't need to do everything and I don't want to do everything. So please pray hard. Amen. Um, pray for the right person. Don't pray for a heathen. Okay, we got that. Um, but I'm a guy that, that likes to be very vocal with my worship, right? I'm a guy that wants to clap my hands, that may want to jump sometimes, you know. I, I'm, I'm that kind of guy. Can I tell you something? 90% of the guys on planet Earth are not that guy, all right? But can I tell you something? I've met guys that are totally different from me when it comes to that, and they love Jesus as much, if not more, than I do. Are you hearing me? And so my thing is, is that God doesn't want 1,000 bishops on the planet. That isn't what he wants. He wants a bunch of people that love Jesus and love him with all of their heart, with all of their mind, with all of their soul, with everything that is within them. That is what he's looking for. Now, we should have some passion in worship, but passion is going to come out differently. For some of you, your passion is tears rolling down your face. Are you getting this? For some of you, your passion is you just expressing your heart unto the Lord. Passion looks different, but the thing is, are we unified in the one thing that matters, which is the glorification of who Jesus is? That's what it's all about. 
God is not looking for uniformity. I love this quote. This quote has to be probably one of the best quotes that I've ever heard um, regarding unity within the church, and it's by St. Augustine, and it is this, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. Did you hear that? In essentials, there must be unity. Like we are never going to, there's closed-handed issues, right? We're never going to deny the fact that we are saved by grace. Amen? We are never going to deny the fact that Jesus is God the Son, born of a virgin, lived the perfect sinless life, died a sinner's death, rose on the third day, and he's returning from glory. We're never going to dispute that. We're never going to dispute who God is. Those things are never, those are essential things, and we must be unified with that. But there are non-essential things that we should have liberty in. For example, some people like certain styles of music. And you know, what that, you, know, you know what that says? That just says that that's the type of music that they like. Does that mean that they're more unholy than you? Maybe. But here's the thing. Probably not. What it means is that you have different styles. You have different, you, you have different things that draw you. And so the point of the matter is some people like hymns. Some people don't. Some people like certain, you know, some people like very, you know, dark. I, I remember when in the other building that we had, and sometimes for the youth they do this, but in the other building we had, we used to dim all the lights in the sanctuary and in, in, in the outside part and just leave the lights on in the front. And some people were cool with that. Other people were like, yo, why do you do that? Like, I don't know, man. Is it more unholy with lights on or lights off? I, I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, which one is more holy? And they had an argument that it was more holy with lights on. I was like, okay, well, you're the light of the world. I'm just saying, is the light shining in you? That's the big question. Right? I'm just, that's my thought. You know, I'm just, uh, that's what the Bible said. The Bible wasn't talking about nothing about lights. But anyway, nonetheless, I decided to go with lights now just, you know, for whatever. But we're going to turn the lights off next week. We're just going to flip it off. Every other week, we're going to have lights on, lights off. Right? We'll just do that. Like, karate kid, wax on, wax off. We'll just do it like that. Right? Ultimately, we have different preferences, but what should we do because of those different preferences? Should we judge one another? No. There should be liberty. There's one question in all of our liberty. Does it bring glory to God? Does it damage my brothers? If it brings glory to God, I'm good. If it damages my brothers, then I should stop it for my love for them. That's what it's about. And then the last one is, in all things, in everything, in the essentials, in the non-essentials, there must be charity, which is love. In other words, when I disagree with someone vehemently because they are wrong about a doctrinal thing, does that mean that I have a right to become a jerk? Does that mean that I have a right to treat them wrong? I, had, I, 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 told, I think I told you about a friend of mine. He, was, he posted on Facebook, and he was, say, he was sharing how his family, he was a guy, he, he had been here, and I, I think I mentioned this. He had been here. He preached here before. The presence of God moved mightily. He was a real cool dude. From what I gather, he's still that same cool dude, except that he doesn't love Jesus anymore right? He's not walking with Jesus anymore. He's, he's, he's a self-proclaimed, like, I don't know if I believe. So he's not claiming atheism. But nonetheless, you know, the, the, he seems to be bitter, you know, because of the situation. And what happens is because he decided that he's not going to believe in what his Christian family believe, they don't call him anymore. They abandon him. They don't want to have conversations with him. Is that charity? Is that loving? Listen, you know what's the saddest part? You know, I, I'm going to be honest with you. When people post stuff like that on Facebook, I'm like, why do you got to put your business out there like that? But nonetheless, to each his own, right? I commented, you know, on there, whatever, just to, you know, ease him and let, and let him know. I mean, seriously, that I'm praying for him. I put him on my prayer list, and I'm going to do that. If he wants to have a conversation, you know, we can talk, and I'll convert him in the name of Jesus. That's my hope. I mean, he said he wants to be converted. So, okay, well, come, let's have a conversation. Not because I'm great, but because God is, and I think God can communicate to his heart. But you know what's even sadder is that he comments later on down in his post, and he's like, and you know what? Even after this post has been up here, none of my family's reached out to me. <laughs> like, wow. See, the point is we have to have charity even when we disagree. We have to be loving even when we disagree. And we have to realize that the enemy wants to divide because if he can divide us, he can destroy us. If he can divide us, he hinders. Now, I want you to get this, what Jesus said in this prayer, because I want you to hear what he says. He says, Lord, let them be one that the world may know that you sent me. Are you here? So what does it mean if we're not one? Does it mean that the world will not be sure who Jesus is? That's what it means. You see the days that we live in? You know when you have conversations with people and they're confused about which church they should go to, what they should be a part of, you know, what the, you know why that is? It's because of the division that's there. And I want you to know something. We can be in different buildings and still be united. It depends on how we treat one another outside of the building, and it depends on how we talk about each other inside the building. 
Are you here? Because, you know, I've sat in services where I've heard people talk bad about their Baptist, non-spiritual, unholy ghost filled. Mm -hmm. I've sat there, sat in, and it's so not true. Just because they don't speak in tongue doesn't mean they're not filled with the Holy Ghost. Just because they don't dance around and beat the tambourine, that doesn't mean that they don't love Jesus. Hello? That doesn't mean that God is not moving in their lives. I want you to get it. Just because, you know, certain things aren't happening, that, that, that does not mean that God is not there. Are you getting me? You see, but we talk about people, and you know what happens? Folks come in, and they hear us talk about each other, and we don't talk about love. We don't talk about what unifies us. We don't talk about the blood of Jesus. We don't talk about how, you know what, even though we may disagree on certain things, man, we agree on the major thing, and that is who Jesus is. And I love my brothers, and I can rejoice with them when they are excelling, when they are moving forward. Because you know what? Here's the, here's the biggest thing, and I'll move on from this point. It is that, man, we are not in competition with the church up the block. We are in competition with the kingdom of darkness. And our problem is that we've been so busy arguing amongst each other that we have done nothing but created confusion. And so now you wonder why it's so hard to preach that gospel. You know why it was so powerful when we see in the book of Acts? Because they were united in prayer. Because they were united in one mind, one heart, one soul, and one accord, and one effort. And you know what? The gospel power was moving forward. It isn't because that was the beginning. Listen, anywhere where people are united together in one spirit, in one one mind and one accord, and the gospel is being declared, lives are being changed. Listen, the reason why I'm part of the Oviedo, you know, Christian Ministers Association and been the president for like, I don't even know, like 11 years now, big title, little job, all I do is just take the title and that's it. I have some guy that, you know, one of the guys there, one of the pastors, he, you know, he's the secretary and he sends out all the emails and I send him an email and be like, hey, can you tell these guys this? And he tells them that. But nonetheless, you know, we make sure that we get together and we talk. The reason why I'm part of that is because I was fasting and praying years ago and I was, and I was, and I was um, not, not, I wasn't crying. I was yelling, you know, over this scripture because I yell more than I cry, just so you know, in prayer. Um, but nonetheless, I was, I was crying out to the Lord, and I was saying, God, you said for us to be one. And I prayed, God, bring unity to the body of Christ. Bring unity among these churches. Bring unity among these pastors. And the Lord opened up this opportunity for me, and he was like, okay, you want to bring unity? Then lead the way. And so I'm part of that because I realize that the enemy has, has won in so many cases because of the discord that there is in the body of Christ. But I want you to get this. It's not just discord out there, discord in here. And so what I want you to do is, and seriously, as I want you to check your heart, I want you to see if there's anything in your life that deals with you here in this place because if there's some kind of discord going on in here, and look, I don't know nothing, so I'm just talking. But if there's something going on in here, you need to get that right. Don't, don't, don't walk around offended by your brother. Don't walk around offended by your sister. Don't walk around like everything is okay and it's not okay. Don't deal with issues and act like they're swept under the rug because sooner or later you're going to trip over them. Hello? See, when you put something under the rug, you know what it does? It creates a bump. And so you walk around it and you, and you think everything is all good because you know how to navigate that situation. But you know what happens? One day you're running and boom. One day you're not paying attention to that thing that you didn't realize how much. See, because here's what happens too. When we sweep stuff under the rug, you know, what, you know what we don't realize? Is that we typically go back to the same spot, to the same spot, to the same spot. And before you know it, we got this big old lump in the way. Come on now. It's important that we don't allow the enemy to divide us. Because if we're divided, we're not working together for the glory and honor of God. The second thing that Jesus prayed for was for our glorification. He prayed that we would see his glory, that we would be part and participant with him in this glory. And so glorification of the saints, what I want you to get, will be fulfilled in the future completely, but is experienced in the present partially in our relationship with the Lord. Get this. It is when we are not experiencing the glory of God, living for the glory of God, that we do what? That division creeps in. You see, when I start living for my own glory, when I start living for my personal glory, instead of for the glory that is to come, instead of for the glory of God now, you know what happens? I start to focus in on me. I start to focus in on my issues instead of focusing in on the big picture. Instead of focusing in on, you know what, God, I'm living for your glory. I'm living for the place to come. I'm not living for this world. Listen, church, it's okay for you not to get every single thing you want while you're here on earth. It's actually better for you if you don't because then you got some stuff to look forward to in heaven. If you get everything here on earth, then what do you have to look forward to? Are you here? 
It's important for us to have the right heart and the right mindset. And I close with these thoughts here. As believers, we must realize Jesus has secured and promised our future glorification, but we must commit to living sanctified lives for the glory of Jesus and a unified life with the body of Christ. And notice in verse 26, he says, And I have declared to them your name and will declare it that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. As we're reminded of the great names that we talk about of our Lord and our God, we're reminded of his great love toward us. And you know what happens when our hearts are filled with love? Our hearts are filled with love from God. We begin to love from God. Are you here? When they're hit, when they're filled with the love from God, we begin to love from him to our brothers and sisters. We begin to love each other, and then we walk in unity, and we live for the glory of God. And so here's what I want to ask you. Where is prayer pointing you? Is it for the need of salvation? Maybe you're in this place and you are not a believer. Maybe you are not walking with Jesus. Maybe he is not Lord of your life. Maybe you came in here today and, and, you know, and, and you just, you're, you're not sure of where you're walking with, with God. And you know what? I, just, I shared the gospel earlier that we're all sinners. We're all separated from God. But Jesus died to deliver us from hell. And so if that's you in this place, but what, what the Bible says, there's no special you know, formula to pray. It is simply to call on the Lord and say, God, I recognize that I am a sinner. I recognize that I am separated from you. I recognize that if I died right now, I would spend eternity in hell. And I don't want to do that. You died for me. And so I want you to have my life. I surrender to you. Maybe that's where God is calling you into the place of prayer for salvation and calling upon his name. Maybe you're in this place and, 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 and as we're talking, it's about sanctification. Maybe you're in here and you just, you're not living for his glory. You're not, you're not running to him. And he's calling you today, and you hear him calling you and saying, my son, my daughter, stop running towards other things. Stop trying to say no to stuff on your own strength. Depend on me. Run to me. Maybe that's what he's calling you to. Maybe it's the unity issue. Maybe it hit a nerve when I started talking about unity, when I started talking about things that may be going on. Maybe there's issues in your marriage where you guys are just divided, and you need to repent before one another and before Almighty God and come back together and be unified. Maybe that's what the issue is. Maybe it's with a brother or sister in the church. Maybe it's with a few people in the church I don't know maybe you know a lot of people have been offending you I have no clue but here's the thing maybe it's a unity issue maybe that's where the Spirit of God is dealing with you on or maybe it's the glorification maybe you're just simply not living for the glory and honor of God maybe that's what the problem is but here's the deal the beauty of this is that God's here his grace is sufficient to empower us to respond to him for salvation, to respond to him for sanctification, to respond to him for unity, to respond to him to live for his glory. But it is up to us to respond. That's the key. We have to respond. Amen? Amen. Bow your heads. Let's all stand to our feet. Let's pray together. Hallelujah. Father, you are great. You are mighty. You are awesome. You are all wise, God, and we thank you today because of your goodness, because of your kindness. We thank you today, Lord God, for your mercy that endures forever, God. And Father, today I know that you've spoken to my heart. I know that you've spoken to hearts in this place. And Father, I just pray, Lord God, that each of us would respond to you in faith, my God that each of us would respond to you in obedience today. Father God, if there's those that are in here, Lord God, that call on you for salvation, let them believe, Lord God, that you are here. And Lord God, as they pray unto you, Lord God, in their hearts, as they cry out to you, Father God, may they begin a new life today, my God. May they begin to walk with you today. May they know because of what you declare in your word that they are now yours and that they can walk with you in full assurance as your children, God. Father God, for those of us that may be struggling with sanctification, with living holy unto you, Father God, I pray that you would break chains in lives, my God. I pray that you would deliver strongholds, Lord God, that you would deliver from strongholds in the name of Jesus. I pray that barriers would be broken down in the great name of Jesus. I, I pray, Lord God, for those that may be bitter, that may be divided, that may not be walking in unity. Lord God, today bring healing, bring repentance, bring forgiveness, my God. Liberate where it is necessary, my Lord. And Father God, above everything else, I pray that we would live for your glory, God. That we would live our lives to bring glory to our great King and our great Savior, Lord God. I thank you so much for this, Lord God. And I pray over all of us that we may bring you glory. In Jesus' good name, amen. Come on, give God a hand of praise. He's worthy. Praise the Lord.